You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Brother O'Malley, we're so thankful for you, and uh, we want you to come and uh, get your Bibles ready. And it's okay to say amen. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to jot notes. And I hope you respond to the message. But we, I love Brother O'Malley and his wife and their son. I've told you the story before, but their son, uh, John, uh, he was in college, uh, and I had the opportunity to teach him for a few years in college. And then I had the opportunity to work with him for a whole year after he graduated, he's a blessing. And so we've known this family and we love them and we're thankful for him. Brother O'Malley, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Pastor. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and go with me to the book of Romans. I'd like you to go. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. Now that you've taken all the cool kids out, does this mean these are the ones who are bad? Kicked out the first through third, kicked out the bus team. So I've got the troublemakers. All right, fine. Romans chapter number 10 is where I want you to go this morning. Certainly enjoyed Brother Cullum's uh, music this morning. Thank you. I think I could, with his voice, I think I could listen to him read the phone book and just be comforted. You know what I mean? It's just one of those voices that, you know, just, uh, just a blessing. And then, of course, to hear... Grace and Joy sing with their husbands. That's a blessing. And uh, of course, met all of them out in California and grateful for them as well. So you found your place, Romans chapter number 10. I want you to follow along with me as I read. You know what it's exciting about coming to church? I don't know if you find it exciting. If church is a drudgery to you, you're in the wrong kind of church. This is the church that we come to and we're excited. I mean, today could be the day that someone gets adopted into the family of God. Today is the day that lives could change. Today is the day where we tighten our eternal focus and we come to church today and we look at setting our priorities and clarifying our purpose and certifying our message. This is the time where we come together and it's not just to attend as a social responsibility. This is an opportunity for us to see what does God want me to do today. It calibrates our thinking. It unifies our heart. It gives God an opportunity to sit in the context of church and say, God, convict me and touch my heart. It gives me an opportunity to evaluate my life and living. So all of that happens at church? It does for me. Because when I get here, it's, this is where life makes sense. I, I am kind of tall and kind of large. And, and there are, I can't just walk into Walmart and buy clothes. It, they just don't have big man sizes, you know. I'll go and look and say, yeah, wh where's the real men's department, you know? But I have to go to another store and find another store where I can find clothes. And the reason why is nothing fits me in those other stores. When I, Go out in the world, nothing fits me out there at all. The only thing that fits for me is church. This is where I come for God's people. You say, oh, Mr. O'Malley, my week was a terrible week. Yeah, but I know, but you're going to spend time with God's people and God's Word. You've heard the songs being sung. We're going to learn from God's Word today. The day changes when we spend time with God. 
it's a wonderful opportunity for us to connect with each other and then have a moment where the Bible's in our lap, our hearts are hopefully paying attention or at least ordering lunch on on your phone before you go, something, but you're right here and you're trying to listen and learn. And you're in the right place today. In fact, let me say this. If you're here today and you're just a bit confused on this whole church thing, you're here today and this is just a religious institution to you. You have no personal relationship with God. You're in the right place. This, there's no better place to be than right here today. In fact, you could be sitting here, and you're not going to be alone in this, but you could be sitting here today and saying, I don't think I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Do you, do you know this? This is the best place to be. Because today you'll hear about how someone can know for sure they're going to heaven when they die. The people who got in the baptistry today, that's what God asked them to do when they got saved. That's a tremendous thing. This is the best place to be because here we elevate, lift up the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So hopefully by now, after all this, you've found Romans 10. Please tell me you have. All right. Romans 10 verse 1. Let's, let's read together. Brethren, that's a term that's simply used to talk about family. In fact, he's referring to Christians. Brethren, my heart's desire. Well, you know, that's deep-seated, right? That's where you realize this is something inside of him. It's not an intellectual response. It's emotional as well. This is what I really want. Well, what does the writer Paul really want? According to verse 1, he said it's not just what he really wants. It's also what he prays about. My heart's desire and prayer to God... You say, well, wait a minute, you can pray to God? Absolutely you can. Any one of us can talk to God. But my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul's commission was to be a light to the Gentiles. But Paul never lost his passion for reaching the Jewish people. He wanted more than anything. In fact, I don't know, in my Bible, if I just look across the page, I see the previous chapter, chapter 9. If you look in verse number 3, he says of chapter 9, verse 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul had such a passion for getting the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to Israel, He states an impossibility. He said, I could wish. So we understand a wish is something that is not attainable. But I could wish that I were accursed from Christ. You say, that sounds pretty strong, but what does it mean? Accursed from Christ is, if you'll allow me to just kind of make it very simple, I wished I could go to hell for Israel just so they could be saved. If I could trade my salvation For their salvation, a curse from Christ is to go to hell. I wished I could do that. That's an incredible desire. Go back to chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This verse alone is enough for us just to call for invitation and just simply say, oh God, give me that kind of desire to see the lost saved. He said in verse number 2, For I bear them record. So he's saying, I'm taking notice of of this. 
about these people from Israel. They have a zeal of God. What does that mean? There's a religious intensity about them. You and I have seen in the past different religious groups come to our communities. They'll knock on your doors. We would say they have a zeal. At this church, we knock on doors we, when we can, and we do it different ways now, but, but we pick up kids, we pick up adults, we pick up anybody who will want to come to church. Why? Well, we have a zeal of God, but just having a zeal for God is not enough. You can't be religious enough. Your family members may have served in churches before. Your parents may have been pastors. Whatever it is, you, that's not enough just to be religious. On September 11, 2001, when terrorists attack our country, they did it because of religious fervor and zeal. Why? They wanted to convert you to Islam. That's, that's the zeal they had. Israel had a zeal for God. They wanted to follow the traditions. They wanted to do all these things. But they missed the point, like many people miss the point. They miss the point that it, it is not our deeds that we do that gets us to heaven. It has nothing to do with what you can do. You say, well, I've always heard people say, if I do enough good, my good will outweigh my bad. Ever hear that? Sure. Is it true? No. So, well, I always heard it. Well, you always heard it wrong. <laughs> the truth is, is that man is not saved by his religious deeds. You say, well, well, Mr. O'Malley, I'm in church today. Doesn't that count for something? Yes, it counts for the fact that you're in church and you have an opportunity to hear truth preached. That counts, and I am glad that you're here. But it's not enough to get you to heaven. So I shook the preacher's hand and, and made friends with him. He called me by name. He knows me. That's enough to get me in. No. Maybe you came from a denominational church background where you had certain sacraments that you had to perform. That's not enough. Your, your grandpapa may have been a pastor, and that's not enough. So, well, my goodness, I was counting on that, and you pulled the whole rug out from under me. But the truth is, is found in God's Word. And Paul was concerned about a religious people that had no relationship with Christ. Notice further, if you would please, as we continue to read. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Meaning, they don't know. You know what? A lot of people don't know. He said, well, Mr. O'Malley, the, 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 America is a Christian nation. But that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. So we're from North Carolina. We're, we're all going to heaven. Best answer I got is not, uh. No. Some people think they know, but here's what God says. I mean, wouldn't it be important to learn what God has to say about how to get to heaven? Not just popular opinion or what you've understood or assumed. Verse 3 Paul says that they are ignorant of God's righteousness. Okay, so now we have a whole new standard. God has righteousness. Man has righteousness. They, are they man, are ignorant of God's righteousness. You say, well, how do you get God's righteousness? Well, notice what Israel did. They went about and going about to establish their own righteousness. So Israel said, we'll set up all of these traditions, do these traditions, and you'll be saved. But God said, no, it's not like that at all. Man complicates about everything he touches. 
In fact, oftentimes we'll say that the gospel is simple. I mean, it's, it's sacrificial, it's costly, but it's, it's simple. So you say, well, what do I got to do to get in? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm headed that way. Look at the next verse. Or, or They have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Verse number four. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean to tell me that I get righteousness by believing? There's no checklist. There's no quit you doing this and quit you doing that. It's just straight up believe for righteousness. See, I told you, man messes stuff up. He said, well, what about beads to pray with? Or what about sacraments to perform? Or what about activities to do? No, that's what man does. Christ says to all of man's deeds, I did everything. I just need you to believe. Verse number four, Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth. That's amazing. Believing is what brings Christ's righteousness. You said, all this time I thought I had to do something. Just believe. So I don't have to give in the offering? No. Do I have to come every time? No. We want you to come every time, but you don't have to. There's no system of things that you have to do to get in. So that's pretty amazing. How much does that cost? Free. So the guy who got baptized today, he believed at another point in his life. The lady who got baptized today, she believed just on Thursday, you said. What happened when they believed? They got righteousness. You said, does that mean I'm perfect? No. No. In fact, I ought to tell you, you're in church with a bunch of messed up, broken sinners. So even you? Uh-huh. Say, well, how do I get righteousness? Believe. Notice what it says in verse number 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What an amazing statement. I can believe and be delivered from the wrath to come. I can believe and have Christ's righteousness applied to my life. I can believe and be saved. It's that simple. So what did that lady have to pay to be saved? Nothing. What did she have to pay to be baptized? Nothing. Christ paid it all. We believe in our heart. I, I am not the age I was when I got saved. I was four years old, so I'm a little older than that now. At the age of four, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And since that time, I've been adopted into God's family. So, well, you're a preacher, you're supposed to... No, before any occupation, I have a relationship with Christ. If you're here today and you don't, you're in the best place I know. Because today you can know Christ as your Savior. Keep going with me if you would, please. He said, 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Well, that tells me on the inside there's a believability that has to take place. And I confess with my mouth, I speak what I believe. 
Verse 10 says, The heart man believeth unto righteousness, the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There has not ever been one person that had ever called on the name of the Lord to be saved and were disappointed. Nobody said, well, he didn't take me. He's taken worse than you. So I'm pretty messed up. Okay, you ready for some bad English that you'll really understand? I'm worser than everybody. Some of the boys woke up in the back and said, yeah, worser. Mom, he said it. See, we can say it. So you're saying, worser is not a word? (laughs) Well, go on. God takes all. Messed up people, messed up religious people, people who have never been to church, He takes them all. It's by believing. And then He says in verse 12, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. So now it's quite clear. There's nobody that has an exclusion. Everybody's included. All men can be saved. In fact, it's affirmed in verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here, you're a whosoever. If someone is not in here, they're a whosoever too. If you're breathing, you're a whosoever. Say, really me? Yes, really you. You can be. Paul then, Paul is the guy who's writing. He's writing to this church at Rome. He's been giving the principles of the gospel for ten chapters. And now he gets to the place and he's going to give them four logical questions. When you read these questions, you are then going to understand where we're headed. Questions one through three are in verse number 14. Notice what it says, please. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Well... Yeah, I guess. People can't call on the name of the Lord to be saved if they haven't believed. Makes sense. Next question. How then? How shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? You say, well, you got a good point there. They're never going to be able to believe unless they hear. Third question. How shall they hear without a preacher? You say, well, that's a good one too. So they can't hear and believe and call unless they have a preacher. Verse 15. And how shall they preach? Here's the fourth question. How shall they preach except they be sent? Well, there you go. They can't preach unless somebody sends them. They can't hear unless they have a preacher. They can't believe unless they hear. And they can't call unless they believe. So, well, what are we going to do about that? Well, notice the next part of that verse in verse number 15. Next four words, as it is written. That means that these words will show up somewhere else in Scripture. To help you out, that's Isaiah 55 is where this is going to be quoted from. Notice these words. And when you read these words, just bear with me as I think about them. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Oh, I'm sorry. I know it's the Word of God, but I hadn't really seen beautiful feet ever. I mean, those little stubs you paint at the end of your foot, paint doesn't make them pretty. I mean, they're mangled, they're twisted, they're ugly, and I'm sorry to be talking about feet in church. And I could bring you up here and we could do illustrations of of, uh, y'all's ugly feet. And mine. You see what? That's the Bible. You shouldn't be making jokes. I'm not making jokes. I'm just telling you what I see in my head. I mean, I read this. Whoa, that's not, there's nothing. Do you have beautiful feet? Hmm? 
No, we don't. We're just not going to show and tell today, are we? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's ugly. Just ugly. But he says they're beautiful. Well, what makes feet beautiful? And to whom are we talking about beauty? Because a husband will be asked by his wife, don't my feet look good? There's no safe answer, guys. There are many questions you'll be asked in marriage. There's just no safe answer. You just smile. Say, I'm glad you love them. You know, you just, you just got to get there with them, you know? But, but God looks at our feet and does He see them as beautiful? It's quite a thought. The power of the gospel is real. And it brings us to the fact that whosoever's need to hear the gospel. And the fact is, is that God is saying, feet have to become beautiful. So then I ask the question, when do our feet become beautiful? To God. Number one. Go back with me to verse number 15. The Bible reads, how shall they preach except they be sent? I know it's very easy to conclude or to at least assume that when we're talking about beautiful feet, well, he's probably talking about missionaries. And rather, I am not. I'm speaking of the entire missionary enterprise. Is that like the car rental? No. The entire operation of getting the gospel out in this community and around the world. The entire missionary enterprise. Our feet, God is looking at and when we realize what this statement is saying, how beautiful the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The only way our feet become beautiful, number one, if you're writing things down, there's only 800 of them, we'll be short. When we give is when our feet become beautiful. You say, well, I thought it was just the missionary. No, notice the verse, except they be sent. Who sends missionaries? Churches do. It is our responsibility to send. You're saying, Brother O'Malley, are you telling me that my feet could be considered beautiful to God when I give? And I'm absolutely telling you, when we send missionaries, God looks as our feet as beautiful. I, I visited India once during the tsunami and I went out to check on how all the funds were being distributed and when I got to the fishing village of where they were passing out food and clothing and other uh, items that were being passed out, Bibles, etc. I got to one village where this lady came up and she walked up to me and she was Hindu. So for her, I was a god to her culturally. The first thing she did was she bowed in front of me. Talk about unnerving. Then she kissed my feet. I know, awkward, right? I mean, it's just like, what do you do? Well, they quickly got her up and said, we don't, we're Christians, we don't worship men. There was something about that. She saw my feet as beautiful. I saw them as filthy because I knew where I walked that day through all of the villages I had visited. So therefore, I looked at it and thought, I'm uncomfortable right now. But she saw my feet as beautiful. But I didn't... I represented the source from where the funds came, but it really came from churches. 
Because somebody sent, and every missionary this church supports and sends out, they, you are part of the missionary enterprise because Paul said, the fourth question, except they be sent. The second thing I want you to realize when our feet become beautiful, our feet become beautiful when they're called. There are people who serve our military and we honor them as those who've given up something from life to go serve our nation's interests at home and abroad. And we are grateful. Any of us, many of us would look at the flag and say, I'm a patriot. I love my nation. Though she is not perfect, I love thy country. But there are those who do a step further and say, I'll serve our nation's interests. So it is in Christianity as well. When mankind loves the gospel, we're part of the missionary enterprise, but then God does call some people specifically to go. They too have beautiful feet when they are called. When I give, my feet become beautiful. Number two, when I am called, my feet become beautiful. There may be someone here today whom God has been touching your heart saying, I need you to serve me here. When you're called, your feet become beautiful to God. Number three, I think I said 800. We shouldn't be too much longer. You will get out before the Waffle House closes. By the way, they had a help wanted sign. I wanted to go in and help just for food today. Number three, how... You okay, brother? Have you ever been to Waffle House in your life? Are you even saved? You let him sing and didn't check his salvation? What in the world? Do you even know who you married? Oh, sorry. <laughs> said, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach, those are the called ones, the gospel of peace, watch this next word, and bring glad tidings of good things. Number three, our feet become beautiful when we bring the gospel. It's not just enough to say we've got the gospel. It's our job to take it somewhere with us. And then the last one I want you to see this morning is this. Our feet become beautiful when we share the gospel. Notice what he said. Glad tidings of good things. There is no better message than to walk into the home of a drunkard and show him hope and show his family safety and security. There is no greater message for the drug addicted to find out that Christ will forgive and love them. There is no greater message for those who are believe in a religion but have no relationship with Christ. There is no better message of hope than when we show up and say, Jesus saves! He'll take you as you are! Kind of strange, right? Beautiful feet. What he said, my feet become beautiful when I give, when I'm called, when I bring, and when I share the gospel. A missionary served in West Africa, a place where elephantiasis was there. Elephantiasis is a dreaded, horrible disease. Imagine your calves and your thighs have no distinction. Your thighs come down and your calves down to your feet swell to 12 to 15 inches. That's how big your calves become. Your feet just become absorbed by the flesh that has just come. So your legs are stumps. Your feet, it's, it makes walking worrisome at best. Painful. 
missionary shared, he was a doctor as well, and he shared with this man the gospel message. Many people in that village had the same dreaded disease. He shared the gospel. The man was so overwhelmed by the gospel. He said, I can no longer sit here knowing what I've received. I must go tell other people in my village. And daily he would be seen going from his house with that condition, going to other houses, hut to hut, sharing the gospel until everybody in that village heard about Christ. He then said, there's a village two miles away, two to three miles away. I'll go there as well. And every day he'd get up, walk the two or three miles, and go hut to hut and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He finished that village and came back and told his family and the missionary. He said, look, I just, I know there's a village ten miles from here, and I feel like this is what I need to do. Ten miles. Walking. With a dreaded disease. His family begged him not to. The missionary doctor begged him not to. And he was one morning was not home. When his family got up, he was gone. He left and traveled that distance. The folks in the other village share this aspect of the story. And they, tell, they said that when he got there, it was noontime. He refused to eat. He just simply started going hut to hut to share the gospel. He went all the way until the sun went down. As it was going down, he left town. Walked the ten miles back to where he lived, got to the missionary's door, collapsed on the doorstep. His feet, you, and I'm not trying to be gross or grotesque, but you can imagine with that condition, walked that distance, but he was driven and motivated by the gospel. And that day, that evening, when he got there at midnight, the doctor summoned a friend and they lifted him up and they put him on the stretcher and his feet were a horrible, bloody mess. And as he, the doctor was there working with his colleague, they both began to cry. And they said from this verse, today is the first time in my life I've ever seen beautiful feet. So Brother O'Malley, there's nothing beautiful about that. Then you don't understand what the gospel is about. Because the gospel is worth every investment and effort that we could ever make. I return to a question I posed to you earlier, and with that I will close. Right now, today, in your life, would God say, your feet are beautiful to Him? When you give, your feet become beautiful. When you're called, your feet become beautiful. When you bring the gospel, your feet become beautiful. When you share the gospel. But right now, today, in this current condition, does God say your feet are beautiful? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.